Roots with my dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And on the phone, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? Well, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed. It's raining down here. It was cold here yesterday. I understand that was not the situation in Portland. It is. Are you at the beach? Yes. It is now raining this morning, but no, over the last two days, it was in the 90s. It was, it was nice and toasty, and our Arizona friends were telling me, and by that I mean Chase, who works here at X-Ray, was telling me he was glad that we were finally having a couple of hot days. It was weird for him to be in a summer that never had any days that hit 90. I was really glad to have a summer that didn't get that hot, although part of the reason I was saying that was it was avoid fires. You know, we just had a big fire right by Rocky Butte. Yeah, which was apparently arson. Is that what happened? I should have looked into yeah, the cause. I didn't look in. Torched 50 cars, at least five buildings, and it appears to have been set on purpose. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. You can decide where weather falls when it's unimportant, we try to say. So we take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? I do indeed. I'm shouting out this morning for Shauna Lee Hampton. Shauna Lee Hampton is a seamstress who does embroidery. And what she's been doing is embroidering nice things, thoughts, uplifting thoughts, or thoughts that you should be thinking about, and then putting them on posts around the, around the city, on, the, on lampposts and on telephone poles. Uh, one of them, for example, says, who in your life would have to die from gun violence violence, in order for you to care about gun control, which is a really, really wonderful thought. And she's just doing this gratis because she wants to improve things. I think it's just absolutely wonderful. We should maybe find Shadley Hampton sometime and get her on the show. I don't know. It might be a strategic thought. It didn't sound like a wonderful thought, but it sounded like one that it, it sounded germane. It sounded apropos. It sounded persuasive. It reminds me, though, you know, uh, Frank Luntz has come out and talked about climate change and giving him a whole lot of credit when he is one of the primary architects of the movement that has uh, been the tail that has wagged the international dog on the climate process, on trying to resolve and address uh, global warming uh, ever since they were working on it back in two, early 2000s and I think 2000 itself. But it has now had a change of heart, perhaps some regret, perhaps realizing that being a chief propagandist for melting the planet isn't a wonderful legacy. But he did come out with some uh, language lessons about how to deal with climate change. And one of them is similar to your, uh, to your lesson on gun violence and the one you just cited, and also similar to the language lessons that came out of a bunch of research and then in practice testing, and then in fact in practice accomplishments, by the LGBTQ community when they were working on marriage equality, which is essentially one of the most persuasive things that happened, whether it was said explicitly or just implicit, was did you know someone who uh, was in a same-sex relationship? And when people did, it made it harder to vilify a whole set of communities. Uh, and I think similarly, in every town USA, for instance, as an example, even in its title, uh, that his similarly with gun violence in your example, but also it's like when talking about uh, global warming, when talking about climate change, when looking for solutions to uh, a climate crisis, talking about uh, doing things like raise your hand if you know somebody or if you have if somebody in your life has been impacted by a hurricane or has been impacted uh, by a by a large scale fire and making that broad uh, making the broad contextual crisis connect to uh, individually felt experience. Uh, well, Dad, where you want to start? You're not in studio today. Well, I should I should also I should also mention that I considered one more shout out, and then I decided, well, it probably doesn't merit a shout out, but maybe an acknowledgement that the Golden State Warriors built the Chase Center in San Francisco, where they are moving this year, 
and it didn't cost the taxpayers anything. It, they did it all with private money. That made me a shot up, but it's kind of nice for a professional ball team not to come sucking around the taxpayers for their arena. Lynn, I want to tell you what I think is the lead story, and we got a bunch of time this morning the, uh, to get into both what's happening uh, at the, well, not, I shouldn't say both, but what's happening at the national and international level, and to focus a bunch of what's happening here more locally. But I think the leading story is what Boris Johnson just did in the United Kingdom uh, in shutting down British Parliament. You following that? No, I have not seen. I don't have access to any news for the last. Anything has happened in the last 36 hours. I have no knowledge about. So you have to tell us. All right. So the well, I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it also on Monday with. Um, so he is. Are we? Are we going to be on on Monday? Uh, the, well, let me just say this. Boris Jan- I can just tell the story. Boris Johnson has asked for suspension of parliament. Uh, on Wednesday, Queen Elizabeth approved it, uh, sort of pro forma, but UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, suspended parliament uh, effectively. The suspension will take place between the second week of September and October 14th. In a letter to lawmakers, Johnson said his request aimed to give his government a fresh chance to set out a new, bold, and ambitious domestic agenda. Another purpose of the move is essentially to limit the amount of time that members of parliament have to block a Brexit, to block a no-deal Brexit specifically. A no-deal Brexit becomes the default legal option on October 31st. And so now that he's shut down parliament, there's no, uh, there's no formal apparatus, no formal structure, no formal opportunity to start crafting alternatives to that. And when they come back on October 14th, they'll essentially have two weeks, and then the thing will be done. Uh, the suspend- and do I understand that this actually is is something that the Queen still theoretically has the power to do? Yeah, that he that essentially the Queen, you know, is Disneyland. For this pro- the, 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 the monarch is proroguing Parliament, which which once upon a time resulted in the the uh, King being losing his head. It's uh. If one were looking at the current narrative as the erosion and with intent included in some quarters to erode, disrupt, destroy, weaken, move away from democracy, uh, this would be one of the one of the marks in the road uh, that suspending parliament so that you can uh, get away with going through with a non-binding resolution, which is what the Brexit vote was. And one that passed only after significant voter manipulation, including large-scale lying of the impact of Britain's involvement with the European Union, just large-scale lying, including blatant lie uh, on the side of a bus that Boris Johnson drove around the country on. Uh, it is uh, th- this is one of this is one of those moments. Uh, but yeah, maybe maybe when we have a chance to talk next. You'll have looked into the story. Where do you want to start, Pop? Well, international is a good place to start. Oh, here we, actually we do have a we do have a clip here. Uh, here is here is Boris Johnson talking about his plan to suspend Parliament. As I said on the steps of, of Downing Street, we're not going to wait until October the thirty-first before getting on with our plans to take this country forward. And to do that, we need new legislation. We've got to be bringing forward new and important bills. And that's why we are going to have a Queen's speech. And we're going to do it on October the 14th. And we've got to move ahead now with a new legislative programme. Prime Minister, to do that Queen's speech, you will need to prorogue Parliament for several days. Your critics will say this is an insult to democracy and denying the MPs the time they need to debate and possibly vote on Brexit. No, well, that that, that is uh, completely untrue. If you look at what we're doing, we're bringing forward a new legislative programme on crime, on hospitals, uh, making sure that we have the uh, education funding that we need. And there will be ample time on both sides of that crucial October the 17th summit, ample time in Parliament for MPs to debate uh, the EU, to debate Brexit, and uh, all the other issues. Ample time. Ample time between the 14th and the 17th. There'll be ample time to get it figured out in those, you know, in those couple of days. Uh, oh boy. Uh, all right, Pop. Where do you want to go? Here's what you know. Uh, we have. I think. I think that. There is an example of the authoritarianism that is gradually, and in some places not so gradually, overwhelming democratic countries that supposedly 
or have democracies in choosing the government. DDT, uh, an example, at, uh, according to the Washington Post, at uh, G- the G7, in private meetings, was hugely plumping for Putin, wanting Russia to be allowed back in so it becomes the G8 and really talk, really pushing. What's happening in the Amazon, the fires in the Amazon, and Bolsonaro maybe not even willing to accept help for it, seriously, seriously being discussed in some places, recognizing that the Amazon is aptly called the Earth's lungs because it is so important in sequestering carbon and taking carbon out of the atmosphere. And, and he was not even going to do anything about the fires. Now he says, well, he's going to send in the military, but what they're going to do is... Uh, and while, by the way, while we're talking about Brazil, uh, interesting study says that the, the most dangerous animals in Brazil right now are feral dogs. Feral dogs. <laughs> there are a lot of feral dogs out there that are decimating uh, not just small, but even, even good-sized mammals. Kind of serious. Another example of bad stuff happening in India. What's happening in India? In Assam state, the new prime minister, Narendra Modi, is demanding proof of citizenship. And the obvious, obvious purpose of it is to give excuses to evict Muslims from the country. Muslims who may have been there for three generations. And it, it, he also, in Kashmir, has really ended any semblance of local control. He's, uh, there are night arrests, and, and what this is, is to me, is representative of the horrible result of what happens when religion, a religion, gains control of a country, especially a country that supposedly is, is a democracy. And that's what's happening in India, and it, I find it quite frightening that... Uh, some far-right religious people, quote, Christian, close quote, in our country has, has crowed, said how happily, that DDT has adopted 90% of our agenda. Kind of scary. And while we're talking about India, guess what percentage of the members of parliament who were elected in 2019 in India are facing criminal charges of some kind. No idea. What? No idea. 43%. That's a pretty good number. Well, it's not half, because not quite half. It's less than half. That's 43%. Holy crow. And while we're talking about about the international, the there, we nab people crossing the border who have criminal records. And so when people come in and we... And we run a back check on them, and here's somebody, oh, has a criminal record, so they get arrested. I'll give you another question. Take a guess at what the ratio of criminal records that result in arrests coming across the Canadian border to those coming across the Mexican border. I guess it's four to one. Three to one. Three to one for Canada. I mean, more arrests, Mexico, more, Canada, more arrests on the Canada times, side? Three times the number coming across in Canada than in Mexico. Wait, wait. So the, of, the, of the people that come across, you have, you're three times as likely to get arrested if you're coming from Canada than if you're coming from Mexico? That is correct. To get arrested because you have a criminal record. So I was, I was 12x off. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And a very, another, another interesting factoid about immigration the estimated number of Mexican immigrants in this country is, is about 45%. The estimated percentage of American migrants to Mexico, 95%. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're always talking about that. Well, let's take a very quick break. By the way, you're listening to X-Ray. We appreciate that you are. Da- Actually, Dad, do you have any other any other international stuff that you want to? Nope, that's the international stuff that I wanted to cover. Then we got national. Let's come back. We stuff. have a we have somebody who has dropped out of the presidential race. We'll talk about that. We'll also offer our prediction about who might drop out next. Uh, we have had decent speculation up to now. We'll see how our speculation looks going forward. We'll have that and more coming up right after this. 
and okay, we're going to be playing some of that. I, I, I should stick in one more thing because it's kind of it's, it's sort of international, but it's also national. Kind of a good segue before the break. Avia Capital, which is a Russian-owned leasing company, is suing to cancel their contract to purchase 35 Max jets from Boeing, which also could be a scary straw in the wind. We'll be back with what's happening in the presidential race and more right after this. Radio is yours. School is back in session for most Portland kids. Some kids not getting in until tomorrow, I think, but for the most part. No, I think today is the day most of them are getting in, maybe maybe some still next week, staggering some of the arrivals. Probably would make it easier on transportation systems. Uh, Dad, you haven't been catching the news over the 36 hours. That makes it, I don't know if we should brag about that point, given the title of this thing is called News with My Dad. As distinct from, that's, that's, you know, why it's, that's why it's important that you keep up. The reason I don't, because the, I have... I have no television where I am, and the the newspaper that I read yesterday's newspaper, but yesterday's newspaper pretty well cuts off by mid mid evening the previous night. The uh, yeah, and today's newspaper isn't available yet. That, that's a production meeting on the air that we you know that I guess we already did, so I shouldn't comment on it further. Uh, Christian Gillibrand dropped out of the presidential race. I would not have guessed that she would have been next, but she would have been an early one. I can see that. Huh. What did she say? The candidates left are Michael Best. I think, you know, she said, thanks for supporting me. I'm going to do other things, other ways to spend my time. Michael Bennett, here are the candidates left, but who did not qualify for the September debate. And that, to me, is the list. I would be drawing from that list in thinking about who might be the next. And, again, we'll do two guesses for one. All right. Uh, the we'll name two names. If you get either one of them, then you know you get points. Uh, the point structure, exactly how the point structure will work, we'll discuss at a later time. Michael Bennett, Steve Bullock, Bill De Blasio, John Delaney, Tim Ryan, Tom Steyer, and Marianne Williamson. Among those eight, pop, who do you think is most likely to drop out next? And you can well, name. My two. guess, the most likely next one would be Ryan. Okay. Tim Ryan. Yep. And then who after that? Well, de Blasio. A close call between Bullock and de Blasio. Yeah, I could see it. I could see the I could see the Bullock thing. Uh, I'm going to go. Uh, mm, I think Tim Ryan's a pretty good one. I'm going to say Tim Ryan is one of mine. I'm gonna. I don't want to do the exact same as your. Wait, who'd you? You did Tim Ryan, and who was your other? Oh, you said you said De Bla, it, Pick between uh, Bullock and De Blasio. Yeah, and you didn't mention Delaney. Is Delaney qualified now? I, I did mention Delaney. Oh, uh, I missed it. Okay. And but Mike Delaney. Delaney. <laughs> I'm. I think Delaney is gonna hold on a long time. Uh, so I'm gonna go. But were you were you Bullock or De Blasio, Pop? I think probably Bullock before de Blasio, but, I, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was the other way around. Then I think we have the same two. I think we have the same two. For some reason, and here's, and here's why when I do process elimination. John, John Delaney seems to have an axe to grind, and he has his own dough and doesn't seem to have much to lose. Uh, he is, and his axe to grind is going after, uh, going after the most progressive candidates. Uh, Marianne Williamson seems that you know she doesn't have that much to lose she doesn't have to run for something else and i yeah, think and she's, got, she's got an independent base and she she has no illusions she's gonna be president she's doing it because she has a message and she wants to continue make, giving the message yeah and i and there's part of me that would think that she would be one that would drop out eventually recognize well the biggest advantage i had was being on the debate stage maybe i should because i don't want to have the exact same as yours I don't know the exact same as yours, but yeah, I don't see her dropping out right away because it's still a chance for her to tweet. It's still a chance for her to talk, um, but she has a mm, Marianne Williamson is actually tempting to me. That's a tempting one. I'm going to take Marianne Williamson and Tim Ryan. That's going to be my two. And even though I don't really think it, and and particularly Dad, if we we're going, if you're doing betting odds, that's not me necessarily saying. 
I mean, I guess it is. I can't have a cop out. But how I what I particularly think about Mary Williamson is I think that she has an underrated chance of exiting because I actually think she has a sense for the media, because I actually think she has a sense for the zeitgeist. And if she does and she has a sense that her her greatest contribution to the conversation came from her participating in the debates, if she's not going to qualify for the debates, uh, then uh, then I think she might develop the sense of, of wanting to step aside. But the fact that she has an independent base suggests I think your your pair is better than my pair. Uh, Tom Steyer, same challenge. Tom Steyer has has a bunch of money, also just got in. He's got a good argument of saying, no, no, I just started. Of course I'm not yet more than 1% in the polls. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Russia won't let her out. Russia will make her run as a third-party candidate. Uh, Michael Bennett. And Michael Bennett, similarly, now that uh, – one of our previous one of our previous guesses of somebody who would drop out was Hickenlooper, and Hickenlooper did drop out. Uh, and Hickenlooper is now uh, is now going to run. Uh, that's right. Hickenlooper is going to run for which the is Senate. what he should, which, which is what he should have done to begin with. Uh, that uh, that with Hickenlooper running for the Senate, that makes it I think a little less likely that that takes out one of the exit routes for Michael Bennett. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I think it's uh, I think I think Michael Bennett stays in also maybe just for the same reason as uh, same reason as John Delaney, but a little bit different is that Michael Bennett seems to have an extra grind. He seems to have a, a really cogent, coherent, uh, coherent pitch on his theory of the case. And his theory of the case is essentially we need more bipartisan governance. Uh, and and I think that that is I, I wish we had more bipartisan governance. I also, of course, I'm concerned that he is uh, that his strategy is too much of a wish more than a plan. But anyhow, that's that that is the breakdown, Dad. You you got uh, Tom Steyer, excuse me, Tim Ryan and Steve Bullock, and I took Tim Ryan and Marion Williamson as the people who might uh, who might drop out next. Uh, so we'll see. Well, while we're while we're talking about presidential candidates, what uh, one more evidence of who the really committed. Democrats, pretty committed progressives, I should say, who are paying attention. The, low, the, the latest PFAW poll, and I'm confident that the folks who follow PFAW would be aptly described as most progressive and paying attention. Warren, 30 percent. Biden, 24 percent. Sanders, 20 percent. Harris, 9 percent. Buttigieg, 6 percent. And the rest all down there in ones, in ones and and, uh, and nothings. The markets are showing that investors are expecting a recession, according to the New York Times. Uh, we talked about the yield curve, uh, the Treasury yield curve inverted completely on Tuesday. One, two, and three month Treasury bills all reached higher interest rates than thirty year uh, Treasury bonds. This is also the first time since two thousand nine the S and P five hundred. Uh, dividend offered a higher yield than 30-year Treasury bonds. Uh, investors' worries may reflect concerns, of course, over the U.S. and China trade war. Apple has apologized about Siri recordings. I don't know if you heard about this, Pop, but we now know that several major tech companies have been letting workers access uh, some of the virtual assistant conversations. That includes Apple, Google, and Amazon. We have a little robot in your house, and the their reasoning was the practice was part of their efforts on quality. On Wednesday, Apple issued an apology for its handling of the audio files when customers accessed Siri. Apple also announced a set of changes aimed at better safeguarding customer privacy. From now on, Apple will no longer keep audio recordings of Siri interactions. Instead, we'll use computer-generated transcripts to track our every move and tell us what to buy. No, that's not their statement. We'll also allow customers to opt into a program to share their audio files with Apple to help track our every move and tell us what to buy. No, no, that's not what they said. They said to help Siri get better. Uh, Apple also said it will try to delete recordings in which Siri is tracking our every move and telling us what to buy. No, that's not what they said. This all makes me feel better and better about not having yet succumbed to a I, smartphone. I, I hesitate. I hesitate. No, this is not a smartphone, Dad. The, uh, this is not merely a smartphone. I guess Siri is a smartphone, but it's not just a smartphone. It's, uh, but I don't, you, it's you having the smartphone and then using the voice assistant. But anyway, 
the uh, uh, I hesitate to say tech stories because I know it will just reinforce your Luddite tendencies, and then you'll be disappointed when it's hard to communicate with folks because I don't know they don't they don't like answering the phone any more than you do. Was by the way, it's actually time to, for me to say this. You listen to X-ray, KXY Portland, KQAC HD3 Portland, 107.1, 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. We appreciate you so much listening. We appreciate you so much and being a part of it. We'll be right back right after this moment with news with my dad. Radio is yours. As we play Obama's playlist, or portions of it, that was Lauren Hill, doo-wop. It is the fifth anniversary of the day after Barack Obama scandalized absolutely no one by wearing a tan suit. Dad, you there? I'm here. All right, I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't That's a good story. Well, well we, were, we were talking just before the break about uh, some of the perils that uh, come with modern communication techniques, especially stuff that goes out through the ether. And I have a great story to tell. Can I tell my story now? Go ahead. The background is that in 1967, at the urging of then Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren, Congress created the Federal Judicial Center, the purpose of which was to offer continuing education for judges on technological, highly technical issues, issues that go beyond the law. They really, judges might need to understand in order to effectively rule on things that came before them. And in the light of climate change-related cases, the Federal Judicial Center, working with the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and the Environmental Law Instituted convened an event to provide judges with an overview of climate change science. Well, when District Judge Emmett G. Sullivan sent around the notice, he's the chief judge uh, there to 45 other federal judges, he got a response from Judge A. Raymond, Raymond Randolph of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. And understand that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit is probably the most influential Court of Appeals below the Supreme Court in the United States. Well, Judge Randolph was quite apparently offended that this event was being held, and so he responded to... Judge Sullivan, but rather than hitting reply, he by mistake hit reply all. And he sent a message asking Sullivan why he was, quote, subjecting our colleagues to this nonsense. And, quote, supposedly science, closed quote, and said, quote, the jurisdiction assigned to, to you does not include saving the planet. Close quote. Holy cow. Well, the good news about that is, after there were several other judges who also went reply all and suggested it was quite disturbing to receive such an accusatory message from a court of appeals justice, that Randolph was scheduled to be one of three judges to preside over the case challenging DDT's attempts to roll back clean car standards, and his name was taken off, and somebody else was appointed to hear that case. Whoa. Randolph has declined to comment, but it sounds like at least good news that somebody who doesn't see any need to replace, reduce fossil fuel use is judging a case about the issue, what the issue means for the horrors of apply and reply all. Be careful when you push that button, folks. Dad, did you see the news about Johnny Isaacson, the uh, U.S. senator uh, from the state of Georgia, who is announcing that he is going to retire uh, at the end of the year, which means that the uh, that will change the politics, or there will be someone appointed, there will be a Republican, Republican appointed to take his seat. That means there won't be a long-term incumbent 
uh, running in tw- not only that, but but there will be another seat to fight over in 2020. Otherwise, Isaacson wouldn't have run until 2022. 20, uh, but now there will be two seats in Georgia. Stacey Abrams will run for neither of them, uh, according to her uh, public statement. But wanted to make sure you saw that. And, and, I, and that does change. Uh, that does change the math of the uh, of the U.S. Senate, uh, U.S. Senate yeah, fight in 2020. Uh, right now, here's the here's the way the math breaks down. Uh, Democrats need to pick up three seats if they win the White House in 2020, four seats if they don't. Right, because the vice president breaks ties, so and the vice president will be the same party as the president. So if the Senate is split 50-50, and Trump is still the president, Republicans would have would effectively control the Senate. But if Trump loses, Democrats have pick up three seats. Republicans have to pick up, 20, excuse me, have to uh, now have 23 seats to defend, right? Because senators only are uh, only up one every three elections, every two years out of six. Uh, they have 23 seats to defend compared to 12 for Democrats. Uh, the Cook Political Report, which is uh, which handicaps races, have rated just three Republican seats as toss-ups. That's Arizona, Colorado, and Maine. Maine, Susan Collins, uh, and Colorado, uh, now with now with John Hickenlooper, uh, if John Hickenlooper uh, wins the primary. Uh, Cook rated seven other seats uh, as potentially competitive. Uh, this now gives another potential uh, as competitive. Democrats only have four seats that are rated even marginally competitive, with Alabama being the one in in greatest danger. That's Doug Jones, uh, that if he loses his reelection bid in one of the most Republican districts in the country, that would mean Democrats have to pick up yet another. So putting on, like Democrats have a pretty thin window to try to pick up the U.S. Senate because they've got to win a they've got to win a net of three, and if Doug Jones loses, they've got to pick up four seats. Adding adding a seat, adding a competitive seat is a big deal in that context, provided there can be the candidate, provided there can be uh, there is the kind of wave election that great disappointment to Donald Trump and a modulation of, of uh, voting machine and psychological manipulation. As long as we can modulate that a little bit, keep that from dominating too much the election system. You know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I want well, to well, go ahead. Well, while we're talking about about that subject, a couple of things perhaps worth mentioning. Joseph Kennedy the third is looking like he's going to challenge a really good, really good Democratic senator Ed Markey, which which I, I hope he doesn't. But but he's making all the sounds, saying people are urging him and all the crap that people put out when they really want to do something, and blaming it on, on others urging him. Uh, and the DDT is growing about the unemployment rate, something that people should remember, that during the so far term of DDT, the unemployment rate went from 4.7 to 3.7. And he's constantly comparing himself to Obama. might be worth mentioning that during Obama's term, the unemployment rate dropped from 10% to 4.7% which some people would say was more significant. It feels not right now like a distant memory, but it is, and in part because, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know, because we have short memories. That's one of Donald Trump's greatest advantages is that we have short memories. Uh, but, but yeah, we had a legit economic crisis. I'd forgotten that. I, I, if you would have asked me, I was waiting for the number. You, I thought it was like eight. I didn't remember it was double-digit unemployment. I should have remembered it was yeah, double-digit double unemployment digit. because people said the words double-digit unemployment. I want to go back to the thing you said just a minute ago or, or, or something that uh, connected to it, the politics of climate change. You were talking about the de- politics within the judiciary of climate change and how much it matters that uh, that Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, the Koch brothers, et cetera, have remade and are in the process of remaking the federal judiciary. Uh, that George Will in his new book has come out and just said that judges should be there to make sure that democracy doesn't go too far, going bringing us back to the Lochner era before the Great Depression, before uh, the Roosevelt era, before the era of building social justice infrastructure and building an American middle class. Uh, but 
in the politics of climate change outside the context of the judiciary or inside the context, at least, of the overall discussion, I want to say the Frank Luntz words. So here are, I do this when I, when I host Hartman, I give the, the, I have this segment that's uh, Watch Your Language where I talk about you know, choosing words in the battle over framing, the kind of George Lakoff and Frank Luntz war over how we talk about stuff. Uh, the famous examples, uh, the, maybe the, uh, I'm sure it's not the oldest example, but one of the most famous examples being the fight over whether to use the term uh, pro-choice or pro-life. Uh, and then more and more examples of Frank Luntz popularized a bunch of this stuff. And then Lakoff wrote his book, uh, Don't Think of an Elephant. But here are Frank Luntz's uses and loses. The phrases that Luntz says, if you want to combat climate change, if you want to change the politics around global warming so that there is greater support for them. And maybe it's a great, you have to take it with a grain of salt because this guy was an architect of, a, of much of the right wing movement and their language, which included uh, blocking environmental protections. But he says he's turned over another climate change leaf on the subject. And here the words he thinks that should be used and the words he thinks shouldn't be used. All right. So, Dad, I'm going to give the, I'm going to give the phrase in different order. You tell me which one you think is the use and which one is the lose. All right. Here's two. Here's two choices. One phrase that one could use is values. The other is principles and priorities. Which do you think is the use and which do you think is the lose? Values is the use. Other way around. Lose values, use principles and priorities. According to the Luncian focus groups, etc., principles and priorities is better than values. Here, here's a new one. Uh, uh, here's one. Reliable technology and energy. That's one. Or groundbreaking state of the art, which do you think? Reli- reliable technology, energy, or groundbreaking state of the art? Which is the use? Which is the lose? I'd go with reliable. Yep, the use is reliable technology. Use reliable technology or reliable energy. Uh, lose groundbreaking technology or ground or state of the art technology or energy. All right. Uh, use or lose, uh, ending global warming, or solving climate change. Is it ending global warming? Yep. Or solving climate change? I would say solving climate change. That's what Lunt says as well. Use solving climate change, uh, lose ending global warming. Now, now, what I will say is I don't trust Lunt's on the climate change versus global warming. I, I've heard various schools of thought on this. Uh, but I think that the but no, I know that he was behind climate change instead of global warming. And in, in part, I think in significant part, because climate change seemed less threatening. But rather than relitigating that one, the, my takeaway from this is the ending versus the solving. And that's pretty helpful that solving gives people hope. Ending maybe seems like hopeless, but solving maybe seems like a little more doable, even though they sort of mean the same darn thing. All right, Dad, here's another one. Uh, threats and problems. Versus consequences. Which is the use? Which is the lose? Threats and problems or consequences? That's threats and problems. Threats. Yeah, it's actually threats slash problems. Should we use words like threats, words like problems, or words like consequences? I'd go with threats. Lunt suggests using consequences instead of threats and problems. Although this is another one that makes me question his motives. I'll just say the other ones. Uh, the uh, he says use cleaner, safer, safer, healthier. Lose sustainable and sustainability. He says that cleaner, safer, and healthier is a better set of words to use. Well, that uh, one that one sounds easy. Yep. He says peace of mind is a better phrase than security. Peace of mind is a better phrase than security. The reason I I, I kind of agree with that one is uh, that pe- as soon as something reaches the point of cliche, I think it's useful to try to move past the cliche. And then uh, he says, use working together and lose one world, pr- presumably because a bunch of nationalists don't like the idea of one world. All right, there's your, there's your watch your language for the day and your Luncian report on climate change verbiage. And while we're talking about, while we're talking about climate change, DDT is proposing new rules on energy projects that uh, would give local ju- state and local jurisdictions at, at most one year 
to respond, and if they didn't respond completely because even because they hadn't received adequate data from the applicant, they would still lose their right to respond. The whole purpose of this is simply to make it really easy for and for energy companies to start projects that may be very, very deleterious to the climate and and will some local would clearly likely affect the millennial bulk application at Longview and the Jordan Cove application at uh, Coos Bay. Boy, watch out for him. And that, that's, that's, uh, I still have got a bunch of national, but that, that, that's a national with local implications. What were you about to say? Hurricane Dorian is intensifying as it heads towards the United oh, States. Uh, Florida has a million gallons of drinking water on hand. Uh, the Pasco County Board of Commissioners has issued a local state of emergency ahead of Hurricane Dorian, getting ready to order evacuations and perform public work, etc. when you're under the state of emergency. It facilitates that sort of stuff. It's expected to be, it was a Category 3, it's ex- for, now forecast to be a Category 4 hurricane when it makes landfall in Florida over Labor Day weekend. Uh, it is now, it's now reached winds of nearly 100 miles an hour, uh, and it is, it, it, it is picking up steam, almost literally, as it heads from right now. It looks like it's just north of Puerto Rico. It avoided Puerto Rico. Actually, now, right now, it actually looks like it's uh, uh, just, just getting, moving north of the Dominican Republic. It's supposed to be squarely above the Dominican Republic and, ab- and above the Bahamas uh, over Friday, moving ahead uh, above the Bahamas fully on Saturday and Sunday, and hitting landfall in Florida uh, late on Sunday, maybe early, maybe early Monday morning. So says this week in charts, which is a graph I'm looking at of the path of Hurricane Dorian. I'll put it close to the microphone so that people can appreciate the path of Hurricane Dorian. Uh, and don't worry, climate change isn't real. What's next? Yes, it is. What's next, Pop? Well, whenever, whenever everybody talks about Florida right now, it reminds me. It reminds me of DDT's travels to and from Florida, which have contributed to the at least one hundred and six million dollars that we, that's you and me as taxpayers, have paid for him to go golfing since he became president. But he's a, he is really going after the Fed, saying they want to drop rates. And now we've figured out why he is so hot on that, because if the Fed drops their rates because his organizations, his companies, have all kinds of loans, the interest of which is tied to the Fed rates, sure. any drop in the rates saves his companies at him millions of dollars, millions yeah, of no, dollars. Any, any, any real estate investor who's highly leveraged uh, loves the idea of lowered interest rates, particularly if they have any variable rate debt. But that we're gonna uh, we're gonna come back and talk about uh, state and local uh, stuff in our fair town. I'm gonna be doing the quick six right after this break, and in the break, you're gonna be hearing Ella Fitzgerald's "How High the Moon." You're listening to X-ray. This is news, with my dad. I'm Jefferson Smith. It's Thursday. We love you, and radio is yours. The ACLU has decided that it is not going to actively oppose the referendum seeking to establish that that Oregon legislature can regulate finance campaign contributions to overcome that. The last time it was on the ballot, they opposed it, but they're not not going to oppose it this time. In fact, they, they even, ACLU supported Citizens United, which just blows my mind. And the other thing on the special session, 1013, the two two professors at Lewis and Clark Law School have said they disagree with the Department of Justice opinion that it does have a retroactive effect. But a very interesting Senator Steyer Hayward, who at one point was quoted as saying, oh, no, it wasn't intended now says, oh, well, yeah, it was intended. That's what I really meant to do. I really did want it to be. Want it to be. Don't know exactly how she managed managed to handle that. Wait, explain, explain the rec- but, retroactivity. But it, explain it's what's going to be, it's going to be resolved. And, of course, Can you hear me? 
what we really ought to do is just abolish yeah, the death penalty. So how is this playing out right now? This is the thing that uh, Ellen Rosenblum uh, is uh, going before the Supreme Court to argue against retroactively applying. Yes, is that the is this the same thing? Well, the, 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 that, that's a that's a different issue. The, the, what, the thing going before the Supreme Court, which is the federal Supreme Court, is whether or not. A ten to two or that's eleven. Non-unan- to that's non unanimous juries. Verdict. That's non unanimous juries. Yeah. So and and if if the Supreme Court said yes, that is unconstitutional. That would mean that anybody who was convicted by a ten to two or a ten to one would have grounds to go to court and ask for their conviction to be expunged and for them to get a new trial. And, of course, a uh, case of 10 years old, the new trial ain't going to happen. So so she is legitimately saying that it is not unconstitutional. That is legitimately saying from Oregon's standpoint. But at the same time, she would favor legislation doing away with it, saying that the states, while the states have the right to have 10 to 2 or 11 to 1 verdicts, it's bad policy and they should not. And that's, and I think that's quite consistent. All right, Bob. Uh, Oregon. We talked. We talked about the beaches and the privately funded, um, uh, the privately funded uh, housing shelter. Also, the uh, we talked about uh, tiny houses. What else you got? Well, while we're talking about that, while we're talking about it, we might also mention that EDT's HUD. Housing and Urban Development Department is proposing new housing guidelines, which clearly are intended to make it easier to discriminate on the basis of race. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. The Restetto Roasters has closed another location. They made headlines earlier this year after its founder's wife publicly criticized the Me Too movement. Uh, Nancy Rollman, co-owner Din Johnson's wife, cast doubt and criticism uh, on women who spoke out as part of the hashtag Me Too movement. Uh, current and former employees distanced themselves. Rommelman then used the Ristretto account to call out some employees associated with the letter to criticize people who chose to boycott. Uh, the scandals resulted in the closure of one of Ristretto's cafes, and now Ristretto has closed another location, the one on Northeast Cooch. What else you got, Pop? We're losing the 100-year-old alcohol and drug rehab center run by the Salvation Army that is closing down. Uh, there's some nostalgia there, but it may be adequately replaced. Some, some, some significant things business-wise affecting us are happening. Intel is selling its modem business to Apple. Uh, Intel is one of, if not the biggest technological employer in Oregon. JSR Micro, which is a Japanese-owned company out of California, is saying that they're going, they're coming in and going to put a hundred million dollar plant in Hillsboro that will employ a bunch of people. Hillsboro is is really a very significant technological technological center. That, that's some good economic news for Oregon, I would say. Dad, the former the former host of MythBusters, uh, Jesse Combs, died in a jet car crash in Oregon, attempting to break the land speed record. Uh, Jesse Combs was trying to go over 400 miles an hour on land. There was a mechanical failure, and she will uh, sadly not be trying to break any more records or not able to host any more television programs. Uh, the mayor's office is considering new regulations on fossil fuels, Oregonian and others uh, reporting. Gordon Friedman is the has been on the show before is a uh, is the reporter on the story, trying to combat health and safety concerns. They've drafted Mayor Wheeler's office has drafted sweeping proposals that would restrict the activities of petroleum companies across the city. Eight potential action items are listed. In, with an updated uh, two-page internal memo, the Oregonian got the memo through a public records request. Uh, includes just brief summaries of the actions, uh, but it casts fossil fuels as presenting a significant risk to community safety and public health. 
Speaking of community safety and public health, here's a piece of big news that you almost certainly didn't catch Bob because it's come out. I think it just came out late last night. Uh, I'm getting it from Bike Portland, uh, bikeportland.org. And that is, Dad, you, you know, we've been talking about the I-5 freeway expansion. What are your thoughts about either the process or the result on the I-5 freeway expansion? Well, the, as, as I said before, the way that this really needs to be addressed is has to start with what do we want to accomplish. And what I think we really want to accomplish is to reduce the incentive for people to live in Washington and work in Oregon so they can dodge tax income taxation on any income that they make from investments or business, that kind of thing, other than their salaries. We want to reduce that, and therefore we should not be building things that encourage them to do that. And I'm, I'm taught about that by what happened with 205. I remember when 205 was first opened, there was no traffic across 205 because there were not built thousands and thousands of people living in East Vancouver and east of Vancouver and immediately northeast of Vancouver. But once 205 went in, oh, that's so attractive. And now it's a parking lot every morning and every evening. We should not be encouraging that. So big development. The uh, uh, ODOT, there, there's a big question about what to do, right? So if you, if you do the CRC, the... Uh, one of the obvious criticisms of the Clipper River Crossing years ago when the, when the project ended up getting rejected, uh, still, promote, still, by, still promoted by, the, by the, building, uh, the, the building sorts and the consultants who were on the project to the tunes of millions of dollars. But when, the, uh, uh, when that project was uh, rejected, one of the critiques among, uh, among people actually watched how transportation functions, well, listen, all that's going to do is move the bottleneck further south, and you're going to have a real problem around the Rose Quarter. And although, and although uh, the promoters of the project didn't really want to talk about it, it was obvious that what the plan was going to be was to spend a whole bunch of money to expand the highway there. And, of course, the problem with highway expansions is that it doesn't expand the capillaries, and so then you got to keep expanding those capillaries, and then you just make yourself a highway builder rather than figuring out uh, and, and continue to be addicted to being a highway builder rather than figuring out... Uh, alternative transportation modes and figure out how we plan our communities so that it doesn't require so much use of fossil fuels. And meanwhile, Democrats, you've had, you have a Democratic governor of Washington who ran on, ran for president on addressing climate change. You have Democrats controlling both chambers of the legislature and a governor who all run with the endorsement of environmental organizations. And meanwhile, there's this big discussion about are we going to be highway builders for the next forever the rest of our lives and, that and, and is, what one just obvious fix just just seems to be so obvious is that they keep talking about tolls but in talking about tolls they they're talking about graduated tolls based on the time of day but what they really need to be talking about is tolls based during the high traffic times based on how many people are in the car so you have a toll that if if you're by yourself, you pay a pretty hefty toll. If there are two of you, less hefty. If there are three of you, maybe no toll at all. And what and and then you provide a website to make it easy for people to find folks who work at the same place they do or work close to the same place they do and whose hours are the same as theirs to create carpools. So instead of having ninety percent of the cars coming across. You wouldn't even have to do it. Rush hour times one person in the car. You have a whole lot of them with three people in the car, and even more of them with two people in the car. And you can you can immediately cut the traffic by fifty or sixty percent just like that. And and yeah, you, you've pitched your idea of of relaxation relaxation of tolls. Is this this is your idea, right? This isn't something that somebody else does. Well, actually, I think I think the the occupancy idea was mine. It was an idea that I got first when I was running the Pacific Northwest Regional Commission, which was a commission made up of the governors of the Pacific Northwest. And my job was economic development of the Northwest. And I commuted on my bicycle from my home 
to my job in Vancouver, and I would go, and this is 35 years ago, and 32 years ago, and I'm going north, question, 42 years old, I'm getting old, and I would be going north on my bicycle in the morning, looking at the poor saps going south on on the bridge across the Columbia, and reverse, and I got the idea that if the regional commission could simply spend some money and take all of the information from people crossing and create a website for them to do it, that would be that would really work. And now you wouldn't even have to do that. It could be done simply by taking people's license plates and sending them a notice and telling them what could be done. It, it would be just so easy to do that. The, and even if you just did congestion pricing, if you just did congestion pricing so that at the at the peak times it costs more to go in between, so people timed their trips, and that meant that if you were reliant upon that route, then you might even you know shift some of your hours where there were chances, where there are opportunities to do that. Not everybody would have the chance to do that, but enough would have the chance to do that that it could ease, ease some of that congestion. Even just that would give there to be some incentive for people to uh, to to carpool because you could then share those costs in the car. But yeah, an app that said hey, an app that said everybody meet at the car park and carpool over, and if you do, uh, and if the car is full, you get a uh, you don't have to pay the toll. Uh, that would be that would be a pretty significant incentive and might really address congestion. But regardless, the the uh, alternative transportation folks, the people who cl- prioritize uh, working against climate change, recognize and our area doing its part, recognize that the clear thing is to do congestion pricing first. But none of this we did. Yeah, the common, I, I got to keep going, Pop, because I haven't okay. told the news story yet. All we've done oh, is the commentary okay. on the news story that I haven't even said. Normally what you do is we have, we'll do like, like normally what is done is we'll do like a news story and then we'll comment on the news story. What we did this morning is we offered the commentary and now I'm going to offer the news story. And that is that ODOT is going to do a complete environmental impact statement for the I-5 Rose Quarter Project. Now that might seem like a really nerdy thing. Well, why didn't they already do such a thing? I thought there was already some sort of environmental statement that was happening before. And understand, there's two different kind of statements that can happen, two different kinds of things that can happen. Uh, one is just an environmental assessment, all right? That is the, that's a, that's a, a sort of a thin thing. And that kind of environmental assessment could say something like, oh, we think it will reduce emissions if we if we broaden the freeway because me, people will move through that corridor more quickly. That's, by the way, what they said. And that was absolutely absurd. You know why? Because it's never worked like that ever in the history of highway building. Every time you expand the highway, more people take the highway. It doesn't. You don't just have the static number of cars forever. Ain't ever happened in the history of all the world. Okay, so the... Uh, but now there has been a, pen, a potential, I don't know if we call it a reversal or an expansion, uh, and Mike Portland sharing this news that, uh, that the Department of Transportation now will do a full environmental impact statement. And that means that, uh, that there will be more time for opponents of the I-5 expansion project to weigh in and to organize and to try to either block the funding or change the policy or do something so that this project uh, doesn't happen as is currently planned, which all and, and one of their concerns is the impact on asthma rates in the inner city and in the North Portland corridor and, and communities that have not traditionally had a ton of political power and big financial contributions to make to politicians. But anyway, Dad, that's the news. They're going to be environmental impact statement, and we'll see if under that environmental impact statement they've done the math on induced demand. And something that that really should be considered, and I believe it would make sense to create a third bridge, a third bridge somewhere downstream of the I-5 bridge to... But this should only happen if you have the, the kind of tolling proposal that I am making. So that would not automatically encourage people once again to move into Washington to dodge Oregon taxes. That uh, you should put a, put a bridge that would make it easier for people to get to Washington County jobs. And the reason that occupancy tolling makes so much more sense than just time of day tolling is that people don't have a whole lot of control over when their boss expects them to show up for work and when their boss thinks it's okay for them to leave to go home. But they have a lot of control 
people were looking for and finding people who would be compatible both both geographically and perhaps culturally to commute with them in the same vehicle. All right, Bob. Well, celebrating the fifth anniversary of the tan suit saga when the president of the United States did as many presidents prior to him had done, which is to use the very same tailor to wear a tan suit and the gall to do the same thing that multiple presidents had done. In fact, by the same presidential tailor resulted in significant non-scandal. And to honor that moment, let's hear from President Barack Obama's playlist. This is Go by the Black Keys. I want to say happy birthday to Kyle Curtis, longtime friend of the show. Also to Gene DeMaster, legend of East Portland. To Colin Coach, friend of the Wayfinding Academy and friend of X-Ray. Also to Josh Carden, the longtime chief of staff, previous chief of staff to uh, Senator Ron Wyden. Uh, appreciate all of y'all. And that was on my mind because somebody else whose birthday it is, who will remain nameless. Uh, you were talking about the uh, the tax arbitrage that happens with Oregon Wash. We love our Vancouver uh, brethren and sistren. The and and one thing that we recognize is there is a significant disparity in uh, income and capital gains taxes between Oregon and Washington. And the and that capital gains tax difference is enough that that one that actually two friends of mine within the last two years. Uh, set up residences in southwest Washington because they were about to have exits from their companies. One was a pretty young guy who had been involved in a startup. The other guy was a guy who had run a business for a long, long time. And both of them, uh, and one of them said that tax had nothing to do with it, but it was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars for them to uh, for them to relocate to southwest Washington. The other one told me just straight up that, oh, yeah, I, said, I was in California, I set up residence in Washington State prior to me making uh, making the sale of my shares of this startup, uh, and I'm actually going to be living largely abroad. But this way, you know, it, it saved my family. It saved my family six figures in taxes uh, for doing that. So anyway, those are just a couple of examples. Dad, uh, any other closing story before we do straw in the wind? Well, a couple of things I, I would like to comment on an interesting letter a guy named Curtis Partridge that published in the Oregonian about bulletproof backpacks. There are companies selling bulletproof backpacks now for kids, ranging anywhere from $95 to $300. And he points out what a stupid idea this is, and, and he gives four reasons, each one of which by itself would be a good reason. First, he points out that the kinetic energy of a bullet even if it is stopped by the the bulletproofing, still maims an adult, and it would seriously maim the child. Second, they do not stop high-velocity ammunition fired by long guns, which are, are guns that are just about universally used by school shootings. Third, that the backpack that, that the uh, barriers that work, the ones that cops wear, the ones that military wear, in order to work, they have at least 20 pounds of Kevlar steel or ceramic or all of those things. So you're going to put 20 pounds uh, into the backpack of these kids and they're going to wear it? Sure. And then last, the first thing that when an evacuation order is given, they say is, leave your stuff and get out of here. So you're not going to have time to put on a backpack. Really, really a dumb idea. Shout out to Muhammad, uh, Muhammad, excuse me, El Shaky. That's so funny because part of his humor is people, people, people like people saying Muhammad instead of Muhammad. Muhammad El Shaky, friend of the show, uh, popular Portland comedian, was just just did his late night set on Conan O'Brien's show. Dad, why don't we do Straw in the Wind? I have two straws in the wind. Where's the music? Like a straw in the wind. First straw. Federal judge ruled in the suit brought by Oklahoma against Johnson & Johnson 
President Johnson's got to pay Oklahoma more than one half a billion dollars for their complicity in the opioid epidemics. Whether that is translatable to other states is not that clear because of the unusual statute on nuisance in Oklahoma, which is the theory that Oklahoma proceeded on. But nonetheless, that could be a significant straw in the wind. And then international big straw in the wind, Indonesia is moving its capital from Jakarta to an up-slope inner location because of climate change raising the level of the ocean. That's a big straw in the wind. Well, Pop, we did it again. Want to say thank you so much to our sponsors. Thank you so much to Morel Inc. Thank you so much to everybody who makes possible this show. Also, our friends over at Tom Dwyer Automotive. Love you, Pop. And both for me and for our listeners, will we be on on Monday or we or will we be back a week from this morning? We'll be back next week on Thursday. Okay, no. I mean, X Ray will be back all the time, but our show will be back on Thursday. We'll see you on, we'll talk to you all on Thursday, folks.